This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Let me just give out one text uh, straight away just to see if anybody else is in the same boat as Jackie, one of our listeners in New Two-Pot House outside of Mallow. She says, hi Patricia, could you put a shout out please and ask uh, any other listeners having trouble with postal parcel deliveries from abroad? I'm now, says Jackie, at this stage waiting on three. All of them were posted, should have arrived in plenty of time for Christmas. One was posted at the end of November and others early December. So the people overseas giving plenty of time, but there's been delays. I mean, the only thing I will say, uh, this certainly isn't on posts. You, you can't put the blame at on posts. They are flat out busy at the moment. And as somebody pointed out, when people were last week waiting on letters and cards uh, to arrive, on post on top of all of the normal deliveries they're doing and still getting through Christmas deliveries. They're also delivering the antigen tests all over the country. So they really are working extremely hard. And of course, they're down on workers either with COVID or out as close contacts. So they're battling with that uh, as well. What I would say, Jackie, it is probably an issue in the country of origin where they've come from and where they have to transit through. I imagine because it's it's not just Ireland is having this problem with postal delays. It is a worldwide issue. But let's put it, let's throw it out there because it is disappointing if somebody's contacted you to say did the parcel arrive and then it hasn't arrived and you're waiting on it. And it is very disappointing. And if it, and obviously there were parcels that were sent in time for Christmas, waiting on Christmas presents. So anybody else waiting on parcels, now overseas, we're not talking about Irish deliveries, we're talking about overseas. I don't know what country Jackie is waiting on deliveries from. I don't know if it's far flung like Australia or is it just across the water in the UK I'm unsure but is anybody else waiting on parcels Christmas presents that were posted to you from your loved ones your family and your friends and they still haven't arrived yet let us know John Paul's taking calls 0818103103 and then another listener says Patricia could you please explain the new isolation rules uh, to us well look I'll do my best And but bear in mind these isolation rules that we're talking about and they're detailed in a lot of the papers today they have to get the go ahead from the government and the government are meeting this morning the cabinet will meet this morning and they are taking the advice that they received in a letter from Dr Tony Houlihan now it's expected that they will go with what Tony Houlihan has suggested because in fairness the government themselves and the cabinet ministers they've been looking for an easing of particularly the close contact the isolation period for the close contacts because it is having 
such a knock-on effect to industry and to businesses. And actually, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to be speaking with the uh, retail uh, stores. They are really struggling. Some of them have been forced to close. Some of them are being forced to have shorter opening hours. And it is all down to not having enough staff available to work inside in the shops. And many of these shops were the ones that worked right throughout the pandemic. They've never come up against this problem uh, before. So what it's looking like now is that hundreds of thousands of people who will be identified as close contacts of a positive COVID-19 case, they will no longer have to stay at home. At the moment, they're restricting their movements, have to stay at home. Uh, That would be completely scrapped for people who are close contacts of a positive case. That's if the government gives it the nod uh, today. Now, close close contacts who are fully boosted and have no symptoms of the virus will no longer have to restrict uh, movements. The letter from Dr Tony Houlihan, however, has advised that household contacts aged up to 12, these are for the children, they'll still have to restrict their movements for seven days. The advice is also that household contacts aged between four and 12, they're also now to be given antigen uh, tests over the course of the seven days that they're restricting their movements of coming into contact with the, the COVID positive person and the it is believed that there are there were around three three hundred thousand close contacts of more than 110,000 people who tested positive for the virus. That was just in the past five days. So that's 300,000 people who are, as we speak, restricting their movements and, of course, for them, not able to go to work and the knock-on effects that it's having for the businesses. Many of those uh, will not have, will now not have to. Now, it's not going to come in from today. There's going to have to be a timeline put on this. But under the new rules, the the 300,000 people, many of those, if they have been vaccinated and boosted, they'll be able to go about uh, their uh, business as long as they have no symptoms. They'll still obviously have to do antigen testing. The average number of close contacts per person at the moment, the Department of Health say, is is three. At present, a close contact of COVID-19 who has been boosted for more than seven days restricts their movements. That is that they stay at home for five days and they do three antigen tests two days apart. And if any of the tests turn positive, obviously, they then go forward for a PCR uh, test. Uh, The Health Minister Stephen Donnelly said that people who have received a positive antigen test result also will no longer now have to go forward for a PCR test. That's going to take a lot of pressure off the PCR tests for sure. And then there's other changes. Close contacts who've not received a booster They will still have to isolate, but their isolation period will be for seven days. For those who have tested positive for the virus, the isolation period is also going to be reduced. At the moment, if you test positive for COVID-19, you have to isolate for 10 days. They expect that that's going to come down to seven days. The Minister for Health said the new rules will all be discussed by the ministers uh, today. But when he was pushed on when they will come into force, he couldn't give an answer on that. All he said was pretty soon, but he couldn't give a timeline. But he did go on to say that they know that there are people out there who want to get back to work. He said, we don't want thousands and thousands of people around the country with nothing to do. There are employers who want people to get back to work. We know there's people who just want to be able to get out and live their lives. And what they want to do is to get the balance uh, right. And he said they want to do it and to do it safely. Stephen Donnelly said that one health worker in every eight 
was absent from the front line because of the current rules and that ditching the isolation requirement for healthy close contacts will help with the uh, workload. So it's got to be signed off on today. And I know for people who are currently isolating, you know, people are saying, will that affect me? Does that mean I can come out of my isolation? Uh, I don't think it will. Usually what happens is that when they introduce, when they decide to do something like this and when they decide to change something like this, it will come in, say, from next Monday. They'll say anyone who tests positive from Monday onwards, then if you're deemed a close contact. Once you don't have symptoms, have been vaccinated, have had your booster, you'll be able to go about your business, but you're still going to have to do the antigen test, even though you're out and about and not restricting your movement. Somebody else says, what about if you, you're not boosted, but you couldn't be boosted because you had COVID-19? Yeah, you're in that same category as if you were uh, boosted and you're also included and they, you won't have to isolate either. So we will wait and see. Don't know if anything's going to break before the close of the programme today, but we'll certainly keep a close eye uh, on it so changes again and I know it can get very confusing uh, for people but at the moment if you've been identified as COVID positive then you stick with the original rules that are in place and it's the same for close contacts and uh, hopefully uh, we'll know by the end of today for sure when the new rulings will uh, come in and I don't know whether we're going to know today or not if we're about our bank holidays for for next year because the government is working on a proposal to give us all a double bank holiday for St. Patrick's Day this year. They're also looking at giving a new bank holiday for St. Bridget's Day, the 1st of February, but the St. Bridget's Day 1 is certainly not going to happen this year. And this was all leaked this was all announced by Leo Varadkar yesterday. He says the purpose of the extra bank holiday is to remember all those who died during the COVID-19 pandemic and obviously to recognise frontline workers. So Leo Varadkar speaking on radio yesterday said the government aims for the St. Bridget's Day bank holiday. They're aiming for that to be a permanent one but that's not going to come into effect until next year 2023. They say that he, he said yesterday that it seems too early to make a decision on that on a permanent uh, bank holiday given that the pandemic isn't over yet. Now last year, remember there was a lot of talk at the end of last year and it was hoped that a new bank holiday would be introduced before the close of last year but then the government was saying no it was too soon and the industry was saying they weren't ready for a bank holiday and they needed a bigger lead in time and there had been a big campaign uh, to try to push for St Bridget's Day. We recognise St Patrick's Day, we don't recognise St. Bridget's Day by way of a bank holiday and there was a big push with a lot of people feeling that St. Bridget's Day was the obvious one to go for and that it should remain permanently in place. So it does look like the government are certainly giving that very serious consideration. So by giving us St. Bridget's Day next year it would mean we'd have an extra bank holiday because we currently have one of the lowest numbers of bank holidays when you look across all of the other European countries we have nine bank holidays at the moment I think the average across Europe is 11 or 12 so the St. Bridget's Day one will bring us up to 10. We'll still be probably one of the lowest in uh, Europe. But it is looking like that there is a very strong proposal on the table for a double bank holiday just for this year 
that would be one off. That wouldn't happen again. And it lends itself nicely because St. Patrick's Day falls on a Thursday. A double bank holiday would mean we would have Thursday and Friday off. And I'm wondering what our listeners' thoughts and comments on that. Would you welcome the double bank holiday for St. Patrick's Day? Claire is very annoyed. This is on packages being delayed in uh, the post. Uh, she has been, she says one of the reasons for the delay are on post have to collect revenue that Claire says isn't due. I received a bill for a calendar my niece had sent to her children. It was declared as a gift on the paperwork, yet it's been held to ransom. And she sent on a copy of the charges from uh, revenue that on post have to collect. It isn't on post coming up with those charges. That's some revenue. And they're looking for €8.91 to be paid. And the breakdown is VAT. And then there's an on post fee, obviously, for on post to collect it. €8.90 on a gift. I still can't understand how some of those custom charges are uh, working on something that's deemed a gift. And Claire, you're not the first that I've heard who received a gift in the post from the from the UK and had to pay. Having said that, I received a parcel from friends of ours in the UK at Christmas and there wasn't any charges on it. So I don't know how some people are getting charged and others are not. Jerry in Mitchellstown says, I am waiting on a parcel from London. I do have a tracking number for it. It arrived in Dublin on the 16th of December. I also, custom charges, I had to pay duty on it. I paid the duty on the 22nd of December and I still haven't received it. So there are a number of people waiting on outstanding uh, packages. Now I mentioned the double bank holiday for St. Patrick's Day and the main reason that Leo Varadkar is talking about this extra bank holiday and this double one for St. Patrick's Day is it's going to remember all of those who died from COVID-19 but also they want to recognise frontline workers. Mary joins me on this with an interesting point. Good morning to you Mary. Hi good morning Patricia. You're talking about frontline workers and what the bank holiday will mean to them. Yeah like we work, I'm a frontline worker but like if you go into a shop into supermarkets, they're all a normal pay on a bank holiday. Like, they still have to work. So what's the advantage to them? Like, the nurses and the doctors in the hospitals, they have to work on bank holidays and they're going to be taxed to the last. Like, so it's no advantage, I think, any. That's my point. Yeah, so those working in in hospitals are, will. I mean, they will get double time. They will, yeah, but so where does that go? In, in tax, yeah. But but surely people working in retail, if you work a bank holiday, do you not get paid double or time and a half at least? I, I don't know that, but like, I, to me, I don't know. I think they should, every frontline staff should get this extra bonus that we were, they were talking about the first time. A cash bonus? Yeah. Tax free? <laughs> yeah. If, if they could do it that way. In the and, real world. In the real world. and But then, then you see, initially when they talk about frontline workers, initially it was, they were talking about people who just worked in healthcare. Would you go so far as to say frontline workers are all of those people that worked right throughout the pandemic, like all of those course. people in the shops? Yeah, of yeah. Of course, like, them, like, where would we be if we had no shop, if we had no um, assistance in the shop? Yeah, yeah. Couldn't yeah. go in there. Like, I think that's wrong. There should be, a, there are classes, lorry drivers, everything, council workers, People driving the rubbish tank, the lorries, everything. They're all frontline staff to me. So anyone who had to go out and physically do yeah. a job to keep society yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Keep the, world, the country going like. So you don't we, think a bank holiday is anyway a recognition? Bank holiday is great. We'll always welcome it. But think of the people that'll have to still work. It's it like... Yeah. 
Yeah, life will still what life will still have to go on regardless on yeah. on the bank holiday. All right, okay, Mary. Listen, thank you for that, and okay, uh, no thanks uh, for joining us. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three lines open. Court today on C one zero three with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. Cmig.ie. According to a survey by Retail Excellence, a quarter of retail stores have been forced to close for period of time in recent weeks as a result of COVID-related staff shortages. Duncan Graham is Managing Director of Retail Excellence and Duncan joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Duncan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Now, I take it this isn't just staff testing positive. It's the close contact rules, as it is the main one that's catching you. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, we we all know there's a a high... um degree of COVID around anyway, um, but it's the close contact rules and the fact that people have had to isolate for up to 10 days that's uh, really been causing the problem and has um, ended up with, with stores under serious pressure. Um, and, you know, obviously yesterday or today's announcement that, um, you know, those restrictions should be eased a little bit are, are very welcome news today. Yeah, we're waiting on the government. We're expected to get the, the green light, particularly for the ending of the five-day isolation period for fully fully vaccinated close contacts who do not have any, any COVID symptoms. I'm assuming you're hearing from your members, there's people sitting at home saying, I'm absolutely fine and I can't go outside the door. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we've, we've had a lot of instances of uh, members telling us that they've had a, uh, somebody in their, their team that's been out for a period of time with, an, uh, with somebody in the, t- in the, in the household contact that, that contacted COVID. Um, that person's got, got, uh, got, got well, uh, got better, and, and then somebody else in the family's gone down. So that contact is still out. So, you know, it's not just you're, you're out for 10 days. You know, you could be out for a, a number of uh, days at this point, uh, over and above that. So it's been really, really difficult. Um, and of course, you know, from a retail perspective, it's meant that, you know, 30% of businesses said that uh, they've been forced to close for a period of time. Two thirds were saying that, um, you know, supply chains were impacted. Um, and when you look at the overall numbers that, are, that work in retail and you roll the, 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 um, these percentages out across the industry, you could be looking at up to 50,000 people that are out of work in retail settings at any one time. So it's a real problem for us at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at figures this morning. I mean, even just based on the last five days, I think, you know, 110,000 people tested positive and they reckon on average everybody has three close contacts. That's 300,000 people as we are sitting here this morning who are at home yeah, in isolation, yeah. we're not in isolation, but restricting their movements, not available to go to work. That's a lot of workers. It, it is a lot of workers, and um, you know where you've got a where you've got a business like retail and hospitality, and you know customer facing businesses, um, then you know it, it, you you are losing a, a huge percentage of your workforce. And of course, you know in retail terms, people can't work from home. I mean, if you are if you're self isolating and, and have uh, you know, no symptoms of COVID and you're testing negative on antigen uh, and you're in a job that you can work from home on, you know, life moves on and moves on reasonably normally. But um, in retail and hospitality, that certainly isn't the case. Um, And of course, the other part of this is our members are telling us that, you know, since the start of this year, footfall in our town centres and and shopping centres across the country is down about 40%. You know, people are not coming out uh, clearly the way they were normally under normal circumstances. Um, so, you know, we, we did need a bit of movement on these uh, on these current restrictions. 
and uh, you know hopefully the, the news that breaks today with the cabinet approving this uh, you know the, the, these new um, restrictions being eased a bit will, will help enormously yeah and obviously footfall is affected by people restricting their movements as well yeah absolutely and that that's what we're seeing and you know if you if you look at retail up until probably the last couple of weeks in December, we'd had a pretty good run at it. You know, we'd opened up, uh, you know, we obviously this time last year we were shut, so anything's a bonus on that. Um, but, uh, you know, we'd had a pretty good run of it since the middle of May last year. Um, there was certainly money to be spent. Um, and, you know, certainly the run-up to Christmas was uh, pretty bullish. And I think most retailers uh, were quite were quite pleased with the way things were going. I think there is the... the, the new variant and the number of the case numbers rising and the messages coming out of the effort, particularly around the sale period, you know, which really was saying, you know, avoid crowded spaces, avoid retail was in effect what uh, the CMO was saying around the start of the sale period. They've really kept um, customers away from town centres and shopping centres. And, um, you know, it's going to take a while for things to move back in the right direction again. Is it also very hard to plan rosters, uh, Duncan, for owners and managers? I mean, from one day to the next, they don't know how many staff that they have available to them. Well, th- this is absolutely it. And of course, you know, you, you just don't know what you're facing into when you come in the morning. Um, it's really difficult to plan. If you know somebody's going to be off uh, absent for four or five days, that's one thing. But these, this is changing daily with, with new people, um, you know, being, being uh, having to self-isolate or being proven to have the virus. So it is extremely difficult. And I think the way that retailers have tried to handle this is, you know, if you've got two shops in an area... They might be closing one down and, and just putting all their remaining staff into one store and keeping that going. Um, many of them, where they've got perhaps an operation with a, with a coffee shop in a store or something, have decided to close down the coffee shop for a period of time simply so that they can offer a service uh, you know, in, in other areas. Um, you know, retailers are restricting their, their trading hours, maybe uh, not trading on into the evenings, um, again, for staffing reasons. So it, it's been a real headache Um and, uh, you know, we're not out of the woods. I mean, we still, even though these, hopefully these new, um, uh, these easing of restrictions will come into play today, you know, we're still left with uh, unboosted uh, uh, people uh, will still remain off for seven days. They're still, you know, still come under this, uh, this, this restriction. So, you know, and a, and a lot of retail people are, are younger in terms of their age profile. So it's still going to have a big impact going forward. Yeah, and I know the, they're also expecting that anyone who does test positive for COVID-19, will, you'll isolate for seven days rather than 10. Mm. Uh, and I think uh, people will, will welcome that. Roshan said she noticed when she was out at the weekend, she was in two different supermarkets and a lot of the shelves were empty. What is going on? That's to do with supply, isn't it? It is. And I mean, our survey said that two thirds um, of businesses said they were having serious, you know, having a serious impact on their supply chain. So of course, you know, we look at it in terms of the customer-facing uh, people in the store, but of course, behind that are delivery drivers, their manufacturing outlets. Uh, you know, there's there's online logistics distribution companies. Uh, all of those things that contribute to getting food on shelves or products on shelves in, in supermarkets and stores around the country. So it's not just the stores themselves that are impacted, it's the supply chain right the way along the, along the line. And, um, you know, it's, going to be, it, it's been really difficult. And, of course, you know, our members were, were estimating that if this continued, you know, we could have, uh, you know, up to 50% of stores happen to close down simply because, um, you know, they weren't able to get products or they weren't able to get people. So yeah, any and, 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 has been good. Yeah, and a lot of, particularly the 
the food stores and the supermarkets throughout the pandemic when we were at the, the very worst of it. They were the ones that were open day in, day out and, and kept us all fed and kept us all going. That's right. And I mean, you know, retail workers have almost been the unsung heroes throughout all of this. I know clearly we, 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 pl- we send our plaudits to the, to, the, to the healthcare workers and everything, and that's absolutely right. But in the background, um, retail workers, particularly those in industries like, uh, like supermarkets, as you mentioned, food stores, uh, pharmacies in particular, have done an incredible job um, under very trying circumstances um, to, to, to keep, keep people afloat and keep people supplied with products. Um, you know, often, often in taking uh, a certain amount of flack themselves, and I think you know that's a big message out to consumers at the moment is is to just be a little bit patient. I mean, I think people were generally quite patient through the Christmas period, um, and we need that even more so now. Absolutely, that people absolutely, that. absolutely. And just very finally, we mentioned uh, at the top of the program this morning, uh, Duncan, about the government working on the proposal for this double bank holiday on St Patrick's Day. How mm. will your members feel about that? Yeah, look, I think in general, uh, positively, um, you know, generally speaking, if we have a bank holiday, we do have, it does tend to be a little bit of a boost for, for, for retail in terms of, you know, people will be out spending in preparation of the bank, that bank holiday. You know, clearly we have to work through what that means for retail workers in terms of time uh, time off and, and perhaps additional payments uh, that would be needed for working bank holiday hours and things like that. But, um, you know, I think, look, the, the bottom line is I think everybody deserves it. Uh, I think we... We've gone through a torrid time over the last couple of years and, um, you know, it, it's good to have something to uh, to look forward to. Uh, God knows we need it at this moment. <laughs> and hopefully all we need is the sun to be shining and it'll be perfect. Listen, uh, Duncan, thank you for that and thanks for taking time out to talk to us. You're welcome, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Duncan Graham, who is Managing Director of Retail Excellence. Just on shopping, somebody sent in a text earlier, Caroline, uh, to say, does anybody know of any shops in the West Cork area who are selling telescopes. Caroline wants to purchase a telescope and obviously is in the West Cork area, wants to shop local and wants to give the business locally. Anybody selling telescopes in West Cork or maybe you bought a telescope for a loved one in West Cork in the run up to Christmas. Can you let us know, please, anywhere in the West Cork area? 0818103103. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, the Irish Harness Racing Association has said that sulky racing has been snubbed by the government and said that new sulky racing tracks are needed to keep the sport off the public roads. Joining me from the association, the IHRA, is their chairman, and that is Mark Flanagan. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. At the moment, how many sulky racing tracks do we have in this country? Well, we've we've um, we've won in in Dublin, and we've won up the north of Ireland, which we're a governing body for north and south. And we have um, like grass meetings in West Cork, where they'll be similar to point to point. And ideally, how many would you like to see around the country? Well, ideally, you would like to see four tracks. You know, one situated in Cork, one situated in, in the west of Ireland, um, one situated the one in Dublin at the moment. Um, it's it's it, we don't own it. We lease we lease it, and you know we're we're only there for I would say for the next two years. So we need um, another track in Dublin. And how busy is that Dublin track? How widely used is it? Well, it would be very. It would be it would be busy. It would start. Uh, we would start racing in uh, the 
second, third week of March, and we would finish in the middle of December. So it would be a busy track, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's difficult for people, in, in, you know, around Limerick, Galway, Sligo, Kerry and Cork to come to Dublin every week. Uh, it's a difficult task. Uh, and we would race every week. You know, ra- racing really would go on on a Saturday and Sunday um, around Ireland. And are many people involved, Mark, in harness racing? Well, there is. There's a lot of people involved in harness racing. You know, a lot of families involved. Um, We've got 120 trainers. Um, And if you put that in perspective, you know, I think uh, in Thoroughbred, you know, there's there's little under 100 licensed trainers. Um, Although they would be training a lot more horses, we would have, you know, 120 trainers. So, like, there's a lot lot of people involved. And then we would have a lot of following. Um, But I suppose people aren't going to racing like they used to go. You know, back in in the 80s where we would have attracted large, large crowds. Uh, It's not, we're we're similar to other sports now where the the, the crowd at the track is diminishing. Yeah, but you wonder if you had more tracks around the country, would that encourage more people? Oh, it would encourage more people. Like, you know, trotting is the biggest biggest horse racing sport in mainland Europe. Um, And, you know, in France, they have... You know, they've over 200 racetracks. Um, in France, uh, trotting is like what the GEA is to Ireland. Yeah, it's yeah. Huge. It's, an, it's almost a national sport um, to them. Yeah, they, but yeah. they, Mark, the government give an awful lot of money to horse racing Ireland. Do, does your does your sport receive any funding from the government? No, we, we, we don't receive any direct funding uh, to support the organisation or the sport. Um, we have a meeting uh, with Minister McConaughey next Wednesday. Um, and we'd be hopeful, you know, that something might come out of that. But, you know, there's a lot of potential in this sport. You know, there's huge potential. Um, you know, and, and it, can, it can have a lot of positive effect in rural Ireland and, you know, with, it, with overall people. And unfortunately for a lot of people, as soon as you mentioned sulky racing, there's almost yeah. a, a negative I- a image because of like videos that circulate online um, yeah. of sulky racing. The, you know, there was the one last year in City West. We have a lot of videos from here in, in Cork. When you see that on our public roads, Mark, it gives your sport a very negative image. It does, it does. But, you know, what I'd say to that is, you know, we, in your, we're part of the uh, UET, which is the European uh, Union for Trotters. There's 24 countries in Europe that where uh, trotting is held. And they don't have this social problem of racing on the road. They don't have that problem. It doesn't exist. So this social problem is, is, is basically within Ireland. And we'd ask ourselves, well, why is that? Why are they different to us? Well, you know, my answer to that would be that they have, you know, a well-supported uh, with tracks, with government funding, with, with bet, betting, uh, you know, all the things that you would, you would, you know, you would contribute with horse racing. They have all them facilities in Europe, and they don't have any uh, any road racing or any antisocial activity. Um, so, like that's that, that, that we're part. That is a huge part of the problem. There yeah. No so if facility. we, if we, if your point is, if we had those tracks dotted around the country, that you, we wouldn't see anyone out on public roads racing. Well, the evidence is there. Um, you know, the evidence is there around Europe. They don't have anybody on the road. You know, there's tracks there to facilitate these things. You know, every you know, it's, as I say, in France, there's 200 tracks around France. You know, so they don't have people don't go the road. They have race tracks where they can um, that provides them with the, uh, the, the you know for, to, to do their sport. And do you accept that it is extremely dangerous to have sulky racing on a public oh, road? Oh, listen. You're, you're not, it's not allowed when they're, you know, none of our members 
you know, are allowed to, to race in a row. That is, you know, it's completely a taboo subject. Um, and they don't, they don't, you know, so any of our licensed members do not, uh, you know, race on the road. They would race. You know, they're, they're similar to all the thoroughbreds race. Like, you know, our race uh, trainers, we, you know, we have a process and procedures they have to go through. And, you know, to carry, to, to obtain a licence, you have to be a fit person, you know. So, yeah. Uh, it's all above board. It's all above board. And, yes, wh- and no, why, I mean, why, why do you feel that you, as an industry you've been snubbed? Well, you know, I don't. I think Ireland, we, 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 you know, we, we live with the thoroughbred and we think the thoroughbred is the biggest race. You know, but there is only one kind of horse race in sport. But if you go to France, you go to Sweden, you go to Norway, most of them in Sweden, it's 90% trotting, there's 10% um, thoroughbreds. Like in France, it'd be 60% trotting. 40% thoroughbreds and that's similar all across, all over Europe so I think really it's it's kind of it's an education process for the Irish people and for people you know for, for, for ministers and for TDs they didn't know that this sport was so popular in mainland Europe like it's, it's you know in France it's worth 9 billion to the economy in France 9 billion you know and if you put that in perspective with the thoroughbred industry in Ireland it's worth between 1 and 2 billion to the, yeah, to the yeah. checker yeah, and like we so know, we know how much horse racing is worth. So, so, so why not add add this as another level? Yeah, well, that's it. They go they go hand in hand, like all over Europe. Like yeah. in France, it would be you know, and a lot of our jockeys, turbo jockeys, would would visit the French racetracks, and you it would be you, you could have two trotting uh, races on, uh, you could have two flat races, and you could have two national hunt all on the same race card. So, like, it's a sport that it's accepted, it's, it's, it's enjoyed by everybody around Europe. Um, and again, it is the biggest horse racing sport in mainland Europe. OK, so you're hoping, what, to meet with the Minister, of the, Minister for Agriculture? That's he, it's yeah, under his remit. Yeah, we with the Minister for okay. yeah, And we, we, we've, you know, we've been in consultation with, a, with his uh, department for over 18 months now, um, looking for fund, direct funding for the industry. So that, that's what the uh, meeting will be uh, about next week. OK, so if you got so, direct funding, you'd put it into tracks. Would, you, would that be the first thing you'd do, oh, Mark? Tra- infrastructure, infrastructure is the main thing. You know, you, if, if, like we did run, um, we did run a course, um, and, and it was funded by the Department of Agriculture, and it was for, um, for to try get people off the road. And I think we had fifteen people in, in our first course, well and basically, you know, it was very, very good. But you know, your end result was, you know, the question was, okay, we all want to get involved in harness racing, we all want to come off the road. So where, so where do I race my horse? Where do I train my horse? And we hadn't got the answers. So we actually stopped them courses. And, you know, what we said to the department was, listen, you know, these courses will be very successful. But what you have, you know, you need to have an end result. There's no point in training these people, you know, train them on, 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 on how to take care of their horse. You know, all the, you know, about the, the antisocial behaviour. And then you say, now go and go to the racetrack. And they say, well, what racetrack would you direct me to? And, you know, the one in Dublin. But I'm from Kerry. Yeah, I have to get them to the me. Yeah. So it, it you have to give them the facilities, yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. So, I mean, we can all give out about you know the, the the road. You do need the facilities, and you know we're the vehicle that would you know will will drive the the, the people into the sport. Um, so there is a vehicle there, and it is the Irish Hands Racing Association. But again, we need funding. Um, and one thing we we lack as well, we don't have a tow license. So of the twenty four countries that, that uh, do trotting in Europe, we don't have it. They all have tow license. And the tow is, is what provides the sport with money. 
you know, to generate prize money. And that's what generates, you know, betting is what generates prize money for the thoroughbreds. And again, we need that as well. Now, we did have a min- meeting with uh, Ms. M- uh, Minister uh, Dunne uh, in December about a toll license. So we would be hopeful that might progress as well because everything, you know, what, what, what the thoroughbred industry has, we need. We have everything. We've stewards, we've photo finishes, we've got everything. We do, you know, our, our dog testing, our, our, our integrity is at a very, very high standard. Is it is at its highest standard as our thoroughbred industry. Okay, you're certainly moving in the right direction. Let's hope that the powers that be are listening to you, uh, Mark. We'll keep a close eye on this. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is Mark Flanagan, who is chairman of the Irish Harness Racing Association. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. I gave a shout out a couple of minutes ago for Caroline, who's looking to buy a telescope in West Cork. Thank you to Teresa in Cork Mac. She was on straight away. She said, We have a brand new telescope. We'll be willing to sell it on to Caroline. So we've put the ladies in contact with each other. And hopefully that's uh, solved the problem for Caroline. She gets her telescope and uh, Teresa gets rid of an unwanted one. And the annual shout out that happens every single year at this time when people take down the Christmas decorations and you're uh, getting rid of uh, all the unwanted items and the leftover items after Christmas. Eileen has been on to say, does anybody know of anybody looking for used Christmas uh, cards? And as we always say to people, if you can pass them on, that somebody uses them for arts and crafts, fantastic. And if not, put them into your recycling bin. But before Eileen puts them into the recycling bin, she'd like to pass them on to somebody. So does anybody... Is is anyone aware of anybody collecting used Christmas cards? Let us know, please. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. In the next hour, we've got some great tips on how to save money. We'll be speaking with John Lowe, the money doctor. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your texts coming in on Christmas cards. Margaret said this was Eileen who wants to get wants to know what to do with used Christmas cards. She said the post office in Newmarket used to God I remember that they used to take old Christmas cards. Margaret said I don't know if they still do. Happy New Year. So it might be Eileen might be worth checking out the post office in uh, Newmarket. Yeah, they did at one stage. Oh, yeah, I don't know if if anybody knows if the post office in Newmarket is still taking them. Let us know, please. And Claire says Patricia on old Christmas cards. Old Christmas cards are great for any anyone who makes cards if Eileen knew somebody locally to her they would absolutely love them and I know I gathered up all the Christmas cards here they came into the studio and our own ones at home and I'm sending them into the Gilbert Centre with Marsha my daughter is the St Joseph's Foundation of their hub in the Gilbert Centre and with help Marsha made gorgeous Christmas cards at Christmas that they actually sold they kind of set up a little business for her (laughs) she's she's making cards and there was great fun and excitement I just don't know how many Christmas cards they'll need because it's just Marsha and her her key worker making the cards so I don't want them swamped with their uh, Christmas cards but yeah anyone who does handmade those beautiful handmade cards that's what they do they cut up old cards to make them so finally can find and I don't know where Eileen is texting from it came in on a text but maybe if Eileen could check out la- locally anyone art, doing arts and crafts they might take the cards as well because it always seems such a shame doesn't it to just put them into the recycling bin particularly with some beautiful cards around this year now we've 
a listener in a bit of a pickle. Morning, Patricia. We've been isolating for nine days due to come out of isolation on Friday. My daughter lives with us. She has just tested positive for COVID-19. What does that mean for us? Do we have to restrict our movements now again because she's positive in that, i.e. will we have to stay home from work? Now, if you were isolating for for nine days, I'm assuming, are you isolating because you got COVID-19? Um, and that's not to say, of course, you can get COVID-19 a second time. We've heard of so many people who had COVID and then even though I don't know if anybody, if you could get COVID straight away after coming out of a dose of COVID. I know if you are deemed a close contact in a house uh, because of, and even actually Duncan from, Duncan Graham from Retail uh, retail Excellence spoke about this. There's a lot of families would have a child tested positive and then of course everybody in the house is deemed to close contact uh, because they all live uh, together and they're just about to come out of the isolation period when another child tests positive and their isolation period starts again. So I'm assuming what you're going to have to do and I don't know if you're isolating because you're a close contact or you're isolating because you're COVID-19. What you're going to have to do is your daughter obviously is going to have to say who she lives with and then the HSC will decide whether you're close contact. You're certainly a close contact because you're living with uh, the person. So it could be that yes, you'll have a new isolation period that'll start again. I would get on to the HSE and they will direct you as to uh, what you need to do. Okay, on parcels and parcels delayed and people waiting on parcels and this thing of having to pay customs, which is which is after catching so many people this year. Neil says, Patricia, my daughter received a customs cert for Christmas gifts that her brother had posted from America. It was for the sum of 30 euro and some odd sense. I paid the amount for her but I'm still awaiting a parcel of Christmas gifts to arrive from England which my daughter-in-law states was posted in plenty of uh, time. Uh, says Neil, well you're not on your own England, certainly the UK again, a little bit like us here in the post office service here they have been under huge, huge pressure so hang in there Neil and hopefully you won't have to wait too long. Burr says parcel coming in from England, that was also held up by revenue. Burr had to pay €7.50 last uh, Thursday. Still no sign of my parcel. Looking at other listeners who've contacted us, Burr, there does seem to be a gap between people paying the customs and excise and then the parcel actually arriving. So hang in there. You've got the customs fees, which is annoying and it's very annoying if it was a present. Whatever about buying an item, you take the risk if you're buying an item now in the UK because they're outside of the EU. But I think paying customs on a pres- on presents that still doesn't sit right with me it really doesn't okay and a number of people commenting on the double bank holiday of St Patrick's Day and then what's expected to be a new permanent bank holiday which will kick in from 2023 for St Bridget's uh, Day uh, but the the double bank holiday for St Patrick's Day St Patrick's Day is the Thursday 17th the 18th the Friday will also be a bank holiday and it is that the extra bank holiday is to remember all those who died during the pandemic and also it is to recognise frontline workers listen says Patricia to me a frontline worker is any person that must touch or be near a COVID patient in order to try to save that patient's lives. The government uh, seem to specialise in creating confusion. It is their trademark, I feel, to divide and uh, conquer. Okay, so you're on the line that the only frontline workers should be health care staff 
and nobody else. Now, I don't know if others will agree or disagree with you on that one. I mean, we had Mary on earlier who does work, is a healthcare uh, worker, but she very much sees frontline workers as everybody who turned up every single day inside in supermarkets, your local shop, in your garage, in your chemist. The, the postmen and postwomen who delivered your, your letters, uh, anyone who was doing any kind of deliveries, anyone really that had to leave the home to go out to work. A lot of people say that that's what frontline workers are. There was always a perception that frontline workers were only those, exactly as that listeners said, those who are working in hospital settings. But I, I do think, I do think that has uh, changed. Anyway, this listener feels frontline workers should only be the hospital staff and only, she even narrows it down, only the frontline staff who are actually working with the COVID patients. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 0818103103. We're back to postal uh, delays. This is Catherine in Dunmanway. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. You have daughters living in Australia. I have two daughters living in Australia. Okay. Have, um, the, have their parcels arrived? No. <laughs> well, they have now, eventually. Um, I was telling John Paul that... Um, our youngest girl, um, Katie, she's in Australia and she's been there now nearly six years. But actually, she went back in um, 2018 and she met a lad from Manchester and they love Blackson. We've never met Kyle. And last year they decided they'd take the big step and they'd move in together. So they moved in together and, of course, we were so excited here for them. We I got um, a lovely kind of like a uh, carving done for them in Dunmanway and um, got to it up to the post office and they sent it for me and I think it was 36 euros to send it um, and a card and what have you. Anyway, that was the 30th of April. So April, May, June, July, August, September. Oh. No sign of the, of the parcel. Um, I had been onto the post office and I must say they were excellent in the post office there. Um, they did everything they could. They'd be, they'd be ringing, you know, and they'd be queuing on the thing. So, Eventually, you know, she gave me the number back in, I think, June or July. And I rang this number. I gave 41 minutes listening to Limerick, your lady, queuing. <laughs> and then I got on. To, no disrespect, but he wasn't Irish. And he kept repeating, I am really, I can really feel sorry for your frustration, Mrs. O'Donovan. I said, oh, I know, I, I feel good. So I said, can you just? I said I gave him the number of the parcel again. Just yes, yes. Because you had a tra- you had a tracking number, obviously. I had the tracking yeah. number, yeah. So I said um, it's coming up as being in Portlaoise. He goes, that would be correct. And I said, I know, but I want it in Australia. And he said, okay. Um, there doesn't seem to be any international travel on that package. And I said, okay, but it's still in Portlaoise. He goes, that would be correct. And I said, okay, where are you? And he goes, I'm in Portlaoise. And I said, okay, any chance you could pop down there and have a look, see if it's, you know, around there. Is it still there, there, yeah? Yeah, and he goes, no, that would be very difficult because there are many, there are many parcels, uh, you know, that thing. And I really understand your frustration. My frustration at this stage is actually turning into, I'm starting to gnaw away on the side of the phone. So then Katie announced then she was expecting a baby. Okay, while still waiting for the housewarming gift to arrive. Yeah. Okay. So, um, proper excitement. It's our first grandchild. Great. And I decide it's just getting absolutely ridiculous. And I'm looking at things that I really want to be part of, you know, the pregnancy yeah. and I'm get, get her little bits. But how do I get them to her? And it's not the same putting money into the bank and she's going off and buying something. 
I had her sister shopping all right for me at one stage, but it just wasn't the same thing. Anyway, lo and behold, after several phone calls, um, the 16th of November, the parcel ends here. Back to Delmanway? Yeah. Yeah. So I rang the same number again after several minutes of listening to the amateur lady again and queuing, and I got on to a lovely lady who said, oh, I'm so pleased you got the package back. I said, but I didn't want it back. I wanted it in Australia. And, and now you, you, you'd brought it to the post office. You had paid the correct amount of postage. Yeah. And the airmail is clearly put on. The, the, the airmail sticker is on it. You had the yeah. correct address on it. And it was returned to sender. Um, and did they say why? Was there, was there anything on the package? No, there wasn't. So I took the package back down to the post office and there was this yellow sticker in it. And the girl in the post office said, well, that sticker is an Australian sticker. She said it had to have gone to Australia to get that sticker put on it. Anyway, to make a long story short, Katie's birthday is coming up. Christmas is coming up. She's due maybe in three weeks' time. And I thought, this is absolutely... She's due, actually, in, in three weeks from now. Okay. So I wanted to get stuff to think. So anyway, I rang. I got onto a company, then DHL. Courier, and, yeah. Yeah, and my own family and Noel's family, we wanted to put some bits and pieces together for us. We sent a, a, a fine parcel with the housewarming gift. Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we spent that with DHL. Now it really was frightfully expensive. It was 197 euros for 10 kg, and then there was he said there was an addition charge and then a five euros, to, which would bring it up to um, 205 if I wanted a signature for it. And I was taking no chances. It's a, I so get I the said, signature, yeah. yeah. So I signed off on it at 203 euros, and it was picked up here on the Friday morning. Right and. Katie had it in Australia on Wednesday morning. And 10 kgs, I mean, if you tried to send 10 kgs in the post, it probably would have cost you as much because, I mean, one, at one and two kgs to Australia is... is is. Uh, but, I, but did you ever find out why the parcel was sent back? No, the girl... Oh, then he, the girl took 241 out of my account then and there was an additional another 11. So I'm in something about 260 euros. Now, I know it's extraordinary, it's extravagant, but to be honest, at this stage... I had been, if I didn't send it soon, they'd have been 30 kg because I've every baby go and anything that comes lay your hands and bombs. Listen, the, ch- the child had been walking by the time the baby goes would have, would have arrived. Well, this but, is it. But, yes, you, but you this. never got an explanation as to why the no, original package I, came back. I, yeah. I, yeah, so I actually called into the post office yesterday and there was a lovely girl there and she said, look, I didn't have time, they're short-staffed and she said, I, I am looking into it, I haven't forgotten about you and I will certainly be um, investigated for you and you would be entitled to your refund. Well, if nothing else, give me give you the postage, the money back. Yeah, yeah. Camille, yeah. yeah. so, uh, you've you've so you've two, you've Katie and what? Who's the other? What's your other daughter? Gronya. Gronya, both yeah. in Australia. They're both in Australia. I won't have seen them three years since coming June. Ah, uh, that's tough, isn't it? It is. It is. But they're 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 great kids. Yeah, you know, kids. My eye, like they're just they're And more, where where in Australia are they? Apart. Well, um, Katie's in Melbourne and Gráinne was working in Sydney and she's gone down now to Katie and Kyle and she's got a transfer. She works with Australian Healthcare and she's gone, she's got to get a transfer down to the Melbourne office. So she's in Melbourne as well now at the moment. And do, do you get comfort from that, the two of them together in the same city? I do. Yeah. I do yeah. 100% because, you know, it is, it, it's terribly hard here, you know, um, like, you know, I mean, we're very lucky with the fact that we 
time, you know, you know, we can time FaceTime them and we can and we talk on the phone and and sure like the excitement this year now with the first grandchild, sure, God we're nearly beside. But we have we've never met Kyle. Yeah. Kyle's parents have never met Katie. Um but they have they came over in November and um they stayed for two nights just to meet us so we did that much done. The pa- the pa- the parents <laughs> did. Yeah, yeah. So have you, you've met Katie's, please God, future in-laws and she's never met him? Nope, she's (laughs) never met him. (laughs) Did you get on? You did? Oh, listen, they were amazing. Were they? They were amazing and they they were really matching everything here with us. They had, um, we had the best couple of days. That's brilliant. Listen, and do you know something that that grandchild, son or little boy or little girl, whatever the baby would yeah. be, will have some story to tell in years to come about how their grandparents met? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> before, <laughs> before they got to meet them, the, the, the son-in-law, the daughter-in-law. Yes, listen, so look at... I'm going to leave now on Friday, so... Okay, listen. Um, <laughs> and will you let us know when baby is born? I will indeed. Please, I will okay, indeed. and pass on our best wishes to Katie, to Gronia and to Kyle. And listen, thanks I a million will. for joining us. No matter. Bye bye. Uh, bye bye. Bye bye. That is Catherine in Dunmanway with a parcel. This seems bizarre, doesn't it? The parcel goes, even though Catherine says when she was tracking it, it, keep, it looked like it never left, left Port Leash, but the sticker was on it said to go to Australia and then comes all the way back again. Very frustrating indeed. 0818103103. Our lines are open. John Paul's taking the calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862103103. C103 Jobs. A purchasing assistant is wanted. It's to cover maternity leave at Ingredient Solutions in Broadway. Send your CV, please, to Claire at ingredientsolutions.net. Delhi manager wanted. That's for Cronin's Centre. That's in Ballylickey. CVs, please, to Cronin's Food Store at gmail.com. Crowley Engineering, they've got a number of full-time positions available. They're looking for Fisher's mates. Contact Kenneth at 086 197 1204. And an experienced gate person is wanted for Cork City Centre and a ground worker and a dumper driver required for the Bishopstown area. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. John Lowe, known as the Money Doctor, has just published the 17th edition of Ireland's number one personal finance annual that over the years has had thousands of Irish families to make the most out of their money. To discuss his latest edition, John Lowe of moneydoctor.ie joins me. Good morning to you, John. Brilliant to talk to you, Patricia. Good morning well, and happy new year to you. And well. many happy returns. Always great to talk to you. Now, I think a huge, huge selling point of this year's annual is details of your low cost DIY wills package uh, service. Uh, the, the question that everybody asks, mm. is it possible to make a will without a solicitor? It is so 
easy to do your own will and also to empower your representative who would be the executor or executrix to actually go and apply for the grant of probate. I mean, one of the problems here, Patricia, is 70% of the country don't have a will. Actually, at the moment, there is a bill going through um, the Senate which is going to force people to actually register a will with a state body. And when that happens, it means people are going to go flying, looking for, um, uh, you know, to set up a will. And it really, you know, the vast, vast majority, 99% of those 70% who haven't got a will are simple, very simple estates. Estates are what you own and also uncomplicated relationships. So therefore, you know, you have one house, maybe two, a holiday home, and you have a couple of accounts and uh, a guitar and a set of golf clubs and that's it. So it's it's a pretty easy, simple, straightforward um, situation. I did my own mother's probate, for instance. Um, what this... Uh, package is all about is uh, empowering the person themselves to actually go and do it themselves without actually having to leave personal information on a website. Uh, so I've got eight documents. Three of those documents are Word documents. So you, you download this eight documents onto your PC or your um, your iPad or your um, laptop. And even if you don't understand the word download, there's a little video that explains how to download and what you have to do uh, on, on, the, uh, on the website. So the first three items are Word documents. Uh, there are six will templates. You're either single, which means single, legally separated, uh, divorced, or widow or widower, uh, or married, uh, or civil union. And you either have no children, children under 18, or you've got adult children. So one of those six templates will cover you. That's a Word document. So you you know, download it, you pull it up, and then you complete it. It's all done very, very simple how to do it. And then ex- explain things like, you know, the, 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 the witnesses that you need for this will service. Um, again, the old day, you go into the uh, solicitor's office and a, a, a lady who was the secretary would kind of sign her name. And then 40 years later, she's dead, he's dead, everybody's dead. And they look at this will and say, what's the squiggle here? And the squiggle is the lady who put her name down. But it didn't who leave. was the witness to the signature. And, and, yeah. and, and, and because they don't know who she is and, and they didn't uh, put down a name, uh, the, the court can rule it invalid. And oh. suddenly the person dies in test so what I've done is I said, okay, get two witnesses. Who, who, can, uh, who can witness your signature? Well, you, you can get anybody who is not related to you, and it can't be, obviously, the executor or executrix. And it can't be, for instance, the, the wife of the executor or executrix. So it has to be a completely separate, who cannot benefit from your will. And you get their full names, their full addresses, their air codes, and I would suggest you get the PPS number. Then it doesn't matter if they die, because then this was a real person that signed your, your So it, it could be your friendly next door neighbour? It could be your milkman, it could be <laughs> your <laughs> dustman. Yeah. <laughs> All of these people it could be. So And they a, just need to witness your signature, they, they don't have to witness what's in the will. Exactly, okay. they don't need to know how how much you've got Vince, or who you're leaving, whatever to. So that's, that's one easy part. I mean there's only about 10 items. You know, being of sound mind, that's another one Patricia. You know, a lot of people, um, uh, you know, if, if you're say in your 80s, um, that they may feel you have some kind of a medical issue. Well, you can go to your doctor or you can go to a specialist and you can say, Send, give me a certificate saying I'm sound of mind and that I'm competent uh, to uh, sign uh, and make and draft my own will. And that's done by the doctor. So now there's no ambiguity, no ambiguity at all. 
So you then get that will. You also get part of this package is a Word document, which is a list of assets and personal information. This is a six-page um, document template, and it, it puts all your assets, your house, your maybe your holiday home, those sets of golf clubs, uh, your, your guitar, whatever you have, your accounts, your PP, uh, PC password, your mobile phone password, your social media passwords, all of those can be put on this document, six-page form, and I would keep that then with the will. And when you've got the will done and dusted, and it's witnessed by the two witnesses, then put it up safely. Do not, you don't have to give it to a solicitor. You keep it in a file, a filing cabinet or a safe um, that would be fireproof. Because one of the reasons why a solicitor might ask you, um, would you like me to hold your will in safekeeping? Safekeeping, to put it in a drawer, is because you need the original will when you're doing probate. Now, going on to probate, you know, it is such a simple, I did that as my own mothers. Now, if you're going to do probate and you want to apply for this application form from the probate office, uh, the online link is a clue, www.courts.ie forward slash applying hyphen probate hyphen without hyphen solicitor, which means that they, they're well aware that you don't need a solicitor to, to apply for probate. And it's not that complicated once you apply. It's not complicated at all. Once you have the original copy of somebody's once will. Once you have, you yeah. need the original copy. So yeah. for, for even those people who've made the will and they've left it with the solicitor and they're, they're, you know, they're thinking now twice about it, they can leave that solicitor uh, with the will and they can draft up a new one because it'll, it'll kind of, uh, the, the new will that you sign will negate the old will. And the cost of this package, by the way, is not to make money, is to empower that 70% of Irish people. It's only 50 euros plus fat. So it's, it's, it's very, very cheap. You, you don't need to, to as I say, darken the door of the system for either drafting the will or proce- processing the probate. Just make sure you tell your executor or your executrix um, where the will is and where that list of templates, uh, list mm. of assets and personal information is. The third item, by the way, that's a word document, is the enduring power of attorney. Again, just to flag it, essentially that when you get to a certain age and you're not able to look after your financial affairs, you're going to empower somebody to do that for you while you're still alive. Is that important? Hugely, hugely yeah. important. Absolutely hugely important. But you only do it when, it, when you're coming to that stage, not now when yeah, you're, yeah. you're compassmentous and you're fully uh, aware of everything. But as you're getting older, it's something we should, we, we should, you should know. Because you will have to go to a high court to get that done, by the way. What kind of problems do we present by dying without a will? You die in test date, it means that you have to go again to the probate office to um, do uh, letters of administration. It's a much longer process. It's, it's more awkward. And most people get, uh, again, um, uh, they, they, they get, uh, you know, kind of overwhelmed by it all that they go to a solicitor and ask the solicitor to do it and they were back to the same thing. Some of these solicitors, I mean, for certain people like Michael O'Leary and Tony O'Reilly, you will need not only a solicitor a bank of them, but a bank of accountants as well. But as I say, for the vast majority of people, you don't really need a solicitor. And, um, you know, as I said, with, with applying, if you die in testate, it's going to be more awkward. But it's still a simple operation by going to the probate office. It, not necessarily, by the way, in Dublin. There's a number of them around the country. Um, so there's one in Cork, for instance, where you uh, apply uh, and and Again, the same situation, applying hyphen probate without solicitor. So, but for the vast, vast majority of people, I'd say you don't really, uh, you can do this yourself, essentially. 
Okay, here's an interesting one from a listener to say, can I change my will? I have a will. It is with a solicitor, but I felt I was forced to favour one son over the other. Can I change that will without my children knowing I've changed the will? Of course, because it's your will. <clears throat> and what you need to do, though, um, that would be either in a reference to a codicil, but I would suggest to that uh, listener that they start over again. Start drafting you and get two witnesses who, who um, and, and you're, the, the, those children don't need to know, even if they're named executors, um, they still don't need to know what is in that will. All they need to know is that where the will is, if that person dies, so that they can access the original copy of the will, plus that list of assets, so they know where all the assets are. Okay, okay. All right, also your, your book this year, you're helping out transition your students. T- tell me about this. This is a great, great, my, my son, by the way, he never uh, failed an exam in his life. Well done. And uh, like he, he went to Blackrock College, Chartered Accountant, B&L and UCD, the Masters in Finance and Smurfit. But when he was 19, Patricia, the, in UCD, he said, Dad, what's an overdraft? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I said, there's something wrong here that, yeah. you know, all these, uh, uh, you know, hours of, of study and he c- comes up with a question like that. So I, I, I decided, right, I'll give 3,000 books last September to 30 secondary schools in South County, Dublin, as a pilot initiative uh, for the transition years. It was a roaring success. The, the principals, the transition year coordinators, uh, the pupils and the parents were delighted. The, the, the book is like it's twelve ninety nine essentially, <clears throat> and I gave these three thousand books to those thirty schools in South Country. I can't unfortunately afford the five hundred and odd, uh, eighty odd schools in, in secondary schools in Round Island. But what I can afford <clears throat> is an e-book. So next September, sixty thousand of them will get the free um, freedom to download the e-book uh, for the twenty twenty two book. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And, and it, it, it'll 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 uh, it'll certainly help them on the way. If I had that book when I was 15, 16, I can tell you. I might be slightly different today. Okay, let's let's look and, and dig into the book because I love the way you always, uh, it's always very beautifully laid out in that it's very easy. It isn't a book that you sit down and read from cover to cover. You pick the parts that, exactly, are most, yeah. that are most relevant to you. But you always give great tips like 40 ways to save cash. Uh, give me your top five ways that anybody listening today could actually <laughs> save a few bob this well, year. Well, well, the biggest way that you can save your money is look at your mortgage and see, you know, what am I paying? What, what's the rate I'm, I'm paying on my mortgage? And uh, because so many people, they're oblivious to that rate and they might be paying maybe up, upwards of 4%. Whereas, you know, the very best rate at the moment on the market for a loan under 60% is 1.9%. So you'd have a significant amount of savings just on that alone. Again, if you were smoking uh, last year and you gave up and you're off 12 months, have a look at your life cover because you'll save 50% of the premium by by that uh, kind of desire to give up smoking. Uh, so it's not only good for your health, it's good for your wealth. Um, there's also lots of ways that you can look at uh, you know, your current account uh, is huge charges on that. You can look at, um, there's, there's a, a CCPC, which is the uh, Consumer or Competition and Consumer Protection uh, Commission, um, .ie, ccpc.ie. Uh, they have a fantastic uh, website to compare different products like credit cards, current accounts. And you should go on to something like that to, you know, find out, Am I in the best place for my current account, uh, where I can, you know, 
I'm paying huge charges. Uh, so there's lots of ways that you can, unfortunately, there's no way that you can get a better deposit rate because the very best deposit rate, uh, Patricia, at the moment on demand is 0.01%. And then you've got to take the dirt tax off that. And that's 0.0067%. So it's it's really, um, there's there's very little in the, in the deposit area. Uh, you know, on post have, of course, and the NTMA, uh, they have the prize bonds, which is hugely uh, popular at the moment because, you know, it, you know, you could win. I have one lady, for instance, who has half a million in uh, prize bonds, would you believe? Well, because we, we often, it often comes up on the programme, people, so I never seem to win on the prize bonds. And yeah. as soon as we mention it, then we'll have somebody say, well, I actually won, but it's usually all the smaller amounts. Well, this lady I asked, well, you know, all investment is about the return you get. And uh, this lady totted up all her then, this is about two years ago, the 50s and the 100s, and she worked out it was 1.4%. I said, that's brilliant, I said, because 1.4% is net. Gross it up, you look at 2%, you wouldn't get anything like that on, on, on the market. And she says, John, you have no idea the pleasure I get in listening to my letterbox go on a regular basis. <laughs> and, and, you know, the funny thing was, that was on a, on a kind of a, a Friday. The following Tuesday, she rang me again. This is not two years ago. And she said, you never guess I got posts this morning. I said, great, what'd you get? 20 grand, she said. Wow, she's doing because yeah. she should be doing the lotto. <laughs> she sounds like she's she's doing well. Do you regularly change things, or once a year change things like your electricity provider, your telephone provider? Absolutely. Well, not necessarily change. I will always look for value. Okay. So uh, every kind of, you know, a year, I will definitely shop around and see, am I getting value with my current uh, electric supplier? And the same for all the other things, including car insurance, which is a big thing. There's virtually no loyalty in car insurance. You definitely go and get, uh, and it's a bit like life cover as well. I mean, life cover, you get covered for a certain amount of money if you die. It doesn't matter um, you know, you're going to get that amount when you die. It's what it's costing you. So if you get it cheaper, you go for that always. Mm. And uh, like we, we represent all of the insurance companies and what actually happens is um, we send out a quotation, there's maybe seven or eight uh, quotations and there's somebody who's the cheapest but what the client that doesn't know is that a couple of, of those other insurance companies want your business so badly they'll match the best and then they'll offer further up to 17.5% discount. Okay, all right. So there are there are ways to save there. Now, I mean, two certainties in life, death and uh, taxes. Nobody likes paying the taxes. You say in your book, you believe in the adage, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Yep. We can be making savings, can't we, on, on tax? Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, you know, there's a lot of people out there who might have dental, um, they might have medical uh, bills, which they haven't claimed for. Do you know that you can go back four years? There are a couple of companies that actually specialize in going back for you. They take a certain percentage of the money that they recoup, um, but it's still worthwhile. And you can do it yourself, you know, four years. So if you haven't returned your dental costs or your medical costs, uh, or maybe you've, you've got a little side business and you set up a pension on that side business, but you never... Um, you know, put in the, the the tax relief on it. You can now do that for four. So it's well worth it. Things like as well, capital gains tax exemption. That's one thousand two hundred and seventy a year, Patricia. And there's a thing called bed and breakfast. Uh, uh, yeah, which is an interesting one. This is where you buy shares. 
Okay. And uh, the shares have, have, you know, gone well. And so you just take out enough to soak up the 1,278 exemption and you buy them back again. But now you've, um, you've, you've got your exemption to pay your tax liability. That's called the bed and breakfast little uh, exercise. Oh, okay. And it's well worth uh, looking at that as well. All these, uh, you know, I'm a great believer in um, getting value. And it, it's like, you know, there's... Uh, you know, there's a little free app, not mine. It's called Stowcard. And you can put all those Tesco super values. Yeah, on the on, app. On I have it app. on my phone. It's yeah. brilliant yeah. because it's only, it's only going to save you pennies and cents. But, you know, those cents are... They all mount up. They all mount up. They all mount up. They certainly do. Back on wills, and marie says, a person uh, who has died with a will, uh, how, going for probate, how much has to be paid when, afterwards to a legal team? Is there a cost? Involved, yes, you are there going is. To a there is. I mean, I've seen costs where the first ten thousand it's it's two uh, three and a half percent. The second ten thousand is three percent, and everything else after that is two and a half percent. So you could be paying on a million uh, of a, an estate, a million euros worth of this, an estate. You could be paying up to thirty-eight thousand. And no like, problem. well, a lot of people would say, Actually, I wouldn't have a million. When you look at property, because of the way property is rising, someone's estate could be worth a million. Absolutely, yeah. and if there's no debt against it, um, the whole the whole issue is that you can save all that money by empowering your representative, who is the executor or executrix, to actually go and do that work for you, and they'll save your estate money. So you're basically they're saving themselves money, you know. Uh, so it makes it makes total sense, especially for those that are not complicated. Admittedly, for those who have slight complications, um, you will a need solicitor, yeah, you will yeah. need legal yeah, help. But, the, but the majority of people, our that, estates, that are, 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 are straightforward. And uh, very finally, John, I always feel with, with your book that it's a must-read for first-time buyers. Is getting on the property ladder more difficult now than ever? It's hugely it's hugely difficult because number one there's a lack of property out there available and number two um, the demand is so great that prices have gone up and the help to buy scheme where you can get up to 30 and especially around um, you know the Cork region uh, you can buy new property for 300,000 the government will give you 30,000 that's 10 percent into your fist tax-free for you to buy that property. That's a brilliant incentive. You, you, unfortunately, in, in Dublin City, you won't get a, a new property for 300000 But outside, uh, in the suburbs maybe of Cork, you might. Mm. Um, and therefore, you've got your 10%. Uh, the 270000 then uh, is now the next question. How much um, you know, would you need to justify that loan? That's seventy eight thousand between you. So that's about forty grand each. That's a tall order for, for first time buyers for new new new. Well it is if, if they're paying exorbitant rents. Absolutely. But uh, you know, some of them uh, have you know what's actually happening now is they they've gone home, home to mum and dad, the bank of mum yeah, and dad, yeah, yeah. and they've asked the mum and dad, you know, to hold off from charging them for rent while they save and then they go and buy their property and then they start in their own route at that stage. Okay, well as I say, if you are in that category, about to buy a house, Money Doctors 2022 uh, book is a must for you. John, as always, a terrific book, well done. Thank and you very no much. doubt we'll speak again during the year, but in the meantime thank you for that and thanks for joining Happy us. Happy New Year. Happy Bye-bye. New Year to you. Bye-bye. That is John Load the money, Doctor. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
thoughts from the Cabinet. The Cabinet have approved the changes to the isolation period for COVID-19 and they've set a date. It comes into effect from midnight tomorrow. The government's decision will bring an end to the five-day isolation period for fully vaccinated to close contacts. Now, it's fully vaccinated. That means boosted. And if you mustn't have... COVID-19 symptoms. If you don't, you can go about your business. However, if you are deemed a close contact, you will you won't have to go. You won't have to limit your uh, movements, but you will be advised to wear a medical or high grade mask, and you also will be told to take regular antigen tests. Now, I don't know how easy it is going to be to get the medical or the high grade masks. Firstly, there's a cost associated with those. Some of those masks are expensive, and I don't know how widely available they are. But anyway, that's what's just been decided. Close contact contacts who haven't received a booster vaccine will still have to restrict their movements, and they'll be restricting their movements for seven days. Today's decision also means that anyone who has COVID-19 from midnight tomorrow night will have to isolate for seven days rather than 10 days. So they've reduced the time frame for isolation as well. There also will no longer be a requirement to confirm an antigen test result with the PCR test. Now, this is for people aged four to 39. At the moment, people in that age group, if they have symptoms and they go online, they don't book a PCR test. Instead, the HSE sends out antigen tests and so if they get a positive antigen test that they then go forward for a PCR. So the change there is you get your antigen tests. If you test positive and you are between four and 39, you don't have to go on and get a PCR. But the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, has said that the health service executive, the HSE, website is going to be upgraded to enable people to upload positive antigen test results and therefore also to give close contact uh, details and obviously those close contact details will then be sent out tests. So that's another change that's coming in from midnight uh, tomorrow night and hopefully that will take some pressure off people who are trying to go for PCR tests because we're still hearing of people can be waiting up to five days to get a PCR test. So a positive antigen test on anybody under the age of 39 you take it then that you have COVID-19, you'll go on to the HSE website to let them know and I'm assuming they'll get counted in then to the overall numbers. Give your close contact list who then get uh, the will get contacted by the HSE and they will be sent out the antigen tests and those same close contacts from midnight tomorrow night now will not have to restrict their movement anymore if they have received a booster. So I take it that's certainly going to be welcomed by industry uh, because as we were talking about only this morning, shops are really retail. It's not just retail stores. Restaurants are getting uh, affected. Businesses right across the board. The HSC, all of our hospitals with people who are being deemed close contacts and having to stay at home, even though they've absolutely no symptoms and they have had a booster. So as I say, I think a number of people will welcome that. Not everyone, though. We've had some texts in on this. There was one on who thought it was... Um, absolutely crazy. Cannot believe that they are reducing close contacts. You wait and see. With the high numbers we're having already, it will rip through the area, says somebody who's not happy about it. Okay, let me go to some other of your texts coming in on the parcels and people getting caught for customs and excise when they buy something abroad. 
outside of an EU country. Liz reckons that revenue are having a field day with Brexit. We don't know what the guidelines are, says uh, Liz. And it can, if you are shopping online, that's why we're back to what we're always saying, isn't it best to shop local? You don't get caught with those kind of problems, but I accept you can't buy everything locally and you do have to go online for certain items. But people, yeah, are really struggling to work out, will I have to pay customs on this? Will there be extra tax on this? But I think it's the people that we're hearing from on presents coming in that are finding it. I still can't fully understand how that is happening. How if somebody sends you a present, why you should be paying customs and excise on it. But we've heard from a number of people that that's exactly what is happening. On parcels, Patricia, I sent a parcel to Australia Christmas of 2020 and it took three months to arrive. So last Christmas, I decided I'd do something different. I sent a box weighing five kgs and it cost me €60. Now, the listener says with a company called MyBag.com. Now, when I googled MyBag.com, oh, gosh, it's designer label bags. I think what the listener is referring to is a company called Send sendmybag.ie and they're a company that send luggage around the world and obviously that's you, you, you send it it's a type of courier they specialise in sending luggage but obviously they take parcels as well anyway that's what this listener did 5kg bag cost 60 euros it cost you that more if you go by post it was collected on Monday of Christmas week and it was delivered to Australia the following Friday Christmas Eve door to door whoa that's worth looking into sendmybag.ie if people want to check that out as an alternative and just trying to guarantee that the item gets there and gets there on time. I think that's what people find most frustrating. On frontline workers, what is a frontline worker? And this whole debate has kicked off because we're talking about the double bank holiday, which by the way, don't know if that got announced or if it got discussed at the Cabinet meeting this morning, but the government is working on this proposal to give us a double bank holiday for St. Patrick's Day and then a new bank holiday for 2023, i.e. St. Bridget's Day. And it is the extra day this year is to remember all those who've died during the COVID-19 pandemic and to recognise frontline workers. And the debate has broken out as to who are frontline workers. And one of our listeners reckoned that the only people who should be deemed frontline workers and therefore deserve some kind of a bonus are health workers who worked at the coal phase who actually worked with COVID uh, patients. But not everybody uh, agrees. Somebody said all of the people who worked on uh, worked on the front line, who went out to work, they're all frontline workers no matter what the job uh, is. I consider myself a frontline worker. I work in a supermarket and I worked right throughout all of the pandemic and I very much consider myself a frontline worker. And a lot of people will agree with you on that for sure. A lot of people, so somebody else who who work in shops are on contract and therefore they don't get double pay. They don't get bank holiday pay. Okay, so you've got to be a full-time worker in order to get double pay is it our, our time and a half, okay? So is, is that part-time? It's probably is it part-time workers you're talking about there, says listener. And then someone else says, D says, Patricia, uh, please forgive my ignorance. I'm neither Irish nor Catholic but what's the significance of St. Bridget's Day? Um, how do you describe St. Bridget's Day to somebody who doesn't understand? Uh, well, okay, St. Bridget's is the one of the patron saints of uh, Ireland. We have three patron saints. We've got obviously the best known is St. Patrick. We always celebrate his day because he's our patron saint on the 17th. First of February is St. Bridget's Day. It's never been recognised though as a bank holiday St. Patrick's Day is. And then of course we have a third patron saint and that's St. Columba. And I 
straight away do not know what when is St Columba's Day and St Columba even though he is one of the patron saints doesn't seem to get as much attention as St Patrick and St Bridget does so that's who St Bridget is a D, patron saint of Ireland and if what the government are working on comes to pass it will be a permanent holiday so it'll mean from next year on on the 1st of February we'll all be having a day off like we do on the 17th of March for St. Patrick's Day. Oh my goodness, says this texter, double bank holiday for St. Patrick's Day and we're not even at the peak yet of this virus. What are they thinking of? That's only going to spread it again rapidly and it'll infect several more people. I think it's an outrageous suggestion, says this texter. And also you have people cribbing that they've no work now and yet suddenly they want to have an extra day off. None of it is making sense to me. So there's somebody completely goodness, you're the only one, I have to say, you're the only one who is against the double bank holiday and also obviously the people who say that they'll be working on the bank holiday will mean absolutely nothing to them but for the majority of people the majority certainly are welcoming an extra bank holiday for this year. Denise says Patricia this is on Christmas cards when Eileen wants to know what would she do with her used Christmas cards and doesn't just want to put them into the recycling bin here's a nice suggestion from Denise Denise says I keep mine and I use a crimping scissors and a hole puncher and I make gift tags out of this year's Christmas cards and I'll tie them to presents next year with a little bit of gold ribbon. Uh, they uh, Maybe, says Denise, by giving that out as an idea, it might be a nice way for fundraising as well. Yeah, yeah, why not? And it's, it's better than just putting them into the recycling bin uh, for sure. We were talking about telescopes earlier because we'd wonder if they're looking for a telescope. We'd put her in contact with somebody else who has a telescope and hopefully they'll be able to sort out that uh, particular little little uh, purchase between the two of them. Michael was on to say, Patricia, I heard you speaking earlier about telescopes. Well, recently I was listening to an old, very imminent professor who worked all of his life at NASA. He was one of the professors who was responsible for lifting the Hubble Space Telescope from the ground up into the sky, which made it vastly more admissible and they could see many, many more billions of light years out into the into the space thanks to that telescope. And he looked out and when he looked out, he realised and he said at the time, there are more universes than there are grains of sand in the sea. All of the great minds, he said, that have surrounded me all of my working life at NASA and all of the great universities where I've worked, we know less now that when we first started. Michael said it was a, a, an extremely powerful interview. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's, we, are, we are just a tiny little speck, are we not? When you, when, when you hear something like that, when you hear what's out in the great universe, we certainly are the tiniest, tiniest little speck. OK, some of your calls in. We were talking about sulky racing earlier and we heard from the Irish Harness Racing Association and I have to say they were a new association on me. I, didn't, I hadn't heard of them before. And they're saying that if we had more tracks built it would take the sulky racing off the public roads and we know how dangerous it is on the public roads and put the people that are interested in it onto the tracks and it would be safer for everyone. Kathleen McCroom says maybe this is simplistic but she has a solution. She said could they not double up the facilities that they have already 
for example, we've got racecourses. We've got the Cork Racecourse in Mallow. Could those facilities not be used for sulky racing when the racecourse is not in, in use? Because the gentleman I spoke with, Mark Flanagan, he's chair of the Irish Harness Racing Association. He says there's only two tracks. There's one, he said, in Dublin and one in Northern Ireland. He said there's, some, there's a grass track as well in uh, West Cork. But he was saying if they had more of them around the place. But could, could you not? Could you? Now, that may be a very... It seems like the ideal answer, doesn't it, Kathleen? And the easiest answer, I don't know. I'd need somebody from the race courses who would probably tell us we are completely wrong and that you couldn't do it. But it does seem absolutely like a simple solution to the problem. Thank you for your call, uh, Kathleen. And then Sean was on to us earlier. He has been ringing the helpline for the COVID digital certificate. He's trying to get his updated one to say he's had his booster. He said he was waiting and waiting, waiting on the phone for over an hour. He's tried a number of times uh, yesterday, but eventually he'd be on the phone for about an hour holding and then eventually the line goes dead and he wants to know, is there any other way uh, around it? Now, we got onto the powers that be for the COVID search certificate and they say if people are having trouble on the phone, and obviously people are having trouble on the phone because of the huge demand and the number of people ringing uh, to request a hard copy of the digital certificate because this is people who don't have an email they're asking people like Sean if you have a family member and someone you could trust who could go online for you and fill out the form at covidcertificateportal.gov.ie you need to complete the details they will need to have Sean's PPS number and tick the box that you don't have an email and then it will be posted out to you that's for people who are having problems getting through on the phones the phone number is 1-800-807-008 and I take it it's just a huge demand for people because a lot of people originally got their COVID certificate by post. They didn't have an email address. They still don't have an email address. So if Sean or, and others and are having difficulty over the phones, if you have a family member that could help you out. But having said that, when I saw Sean's call come in, I'm wondering, did anyone manage to get through on that COVID uh, helpline for their certificate one eight hundred eight zero seven zero zero eight, and have you received your new COVID certificate in the post if anyone can tell us that they did manage to get through on the phone and if you did how long were you actually waiting our number is 0818103103 or you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Grenade GAA are asking members to support Cork GAA Rebel Bounty Draw this year. All proceeds raised by Grenade GAA will go towards the development of new dressing rooms at the Grenade Pitch. Kildallery Community Development, they've got their weekly lotto draw this afternoon at four in the community office and this week's jackpot is €1,700. And please note that the Kildallery Drive-In Bingo, because of the rise in Omicron variant of COVID-19, they've cancelled the bingo for this Friday night, the 14th of uh, January. Mitchellstown Haven Hub, they're open every Saturday night from 7pm and it's for anybody feeling lonely, isolated or indistinct. 
stress. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Lehman and Shaquille was on just to give a word of warning. He said at about 11 o'clock his phone rang, he picked it up and it was a person claiming to be from the Revenue Commissioners saying that the criminal courts of justice were going to be after uh, Liam. Now Liam uh, hung up but he, he reckons it was quite threatening and it could be quite frightening for people. Liam realised very quickly that it was a scam call but just to let people know that that's doing the rounds again at the moment and to be very, very careful. And then Nancy was on to say is, she said, is it just me? But she said, I'm adult with what you need to do and you don't need to do if you are a close contact of a positive COVID-19 cases now that the government have announced the uh, changes. If you're boosted, if you're not boosted, how long do you isolate? Do you need to isolate? She said it's all very confusing and our poor Nancy is a little bit adult. Hopefully we'll, it will get more clarity and when it comes in, it's midnight tomorrow night. Somebody else is asking when are the new uh, the new rules coming in midnight uh, tomorrow night. Uh, 0818 103 103. John Paul continues to take your calls. Now, you may have seen on the news on TV this week the story of the Neary family from Longford who have begun construction of kennels. They're on the grounds of Crumlin Children's Hospital in Dublin and it's to facilitate sick children having access to their much-loved pets. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. To chat to me about Keen's Kennels, I'm joined by Evelyn Neary. Good afternoon to you, Evelyn. Good afternoon. And you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, you lost your beautiful son, Keen in 2019. So our, our deepest, deepest sympathies uh, to you and indeed the rest of your family. But what did the start of the construction on the kennels this week in Keen's name, what did that mean to you and the family? Oh, it meant so much to us. It was a very, very emotional day for us. I suppose on one hand, it's the culmination of almost two years' work and planning and getting set up as a charity, fundraising and all of those things. Um, so that end of things, very exciting, very rewarding. We are very proud of what's been achieved today. The other side of it is, you know, it reminds us once again 
why we're doing this. Um, and that's really to continue the journey that Kean started. So heartbreaking as well. And it was a very, very um, mixed day. Yeah, uh, bless. And I, you know, I was, I was when I saw the piece, and I was looking on your the website that you've uh, set up, and I was thinking, like a lot of that fundraising you had to do during COVID times, which wasn't very easy. Yes, it it we literally started. Um, I think we set up the charity in March 2020, just oh, as, as things were starting. <laughs> um, you, you'll remember us. You'll, you'll certainly remember us. <laughs> yes, indeed, and actually the. The, the spur to get us started, we always had the idea, um, because as I said, it was done on a small scale for Kean, but the, the spur for us to get started was actually a fundraiser by our now director of fundraising, uh, Brenda Constein. He called to visit us and said, look, I've heard about your idea and I'd love to do um, a cycle, Malin to Mizzen, in memory of, of his own siblings who had lost their, lost their eyes, but um, in, uh, with proceeds to Kean's Kennel. And that cycle was planned for April 2020. It was planned for September 2020. And it eventually happened um, just in September of 2021. Wow. So lots of delays. Long, long time in, in the planning. And Cooper, Kean's dog, uh, was, was there for, for the launch this week. When did Cooper come into Kean's life? So... Cooper was in Kean's life from from diagnosis, so uh, with with cancer. So Kean went from being fun loving, active, sporty, um, typical, I suppose, teenage boy, to pretty much overnight, really, been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. So we were all devastated, including Kean, and the hospital teams are always very keen. To explain to the to the child, you know what's happening and what treatment. So Kean had a fair idea that this was pretty bad and was pretty significant. So they, I think, in an attempt to lighten the conversation and the mood, one of the medical team said to Kean, "Now might be a good time to ask Mammy and Daddy for whatever you'd like." And <laughs> um, so there was a couple of minutes pause while we all wondered what that might be, but um. He said, I want, I want a puppy. So we thought, OK, that's doable. And uh, Cooper then joined the family a couple of weeks later. And it's, it's a Labrador, is it, Cooper? It's a Labrador, yeah. golden Labrador. Gorgeous dog. I've, I've, I saw him and I've seen the pictures in the paper. He, he's beautiful. And then, obviously, Keen was undergoing his treatment and you were, had to go from Longford. He was in Crumlin uh, Children's Hospital. What did it mean for Keen to have Cooper near him while he was in hospital? Yeah, so Gian was on treatment for almost a year and in the early days he was at home a lot um, um, up and down for day treatments and using the services of the regional hospital in Mullingar where needed. Um, so that just meant he'd loads of time to train Cooper and spend time with Cooper because Gian was never really well enough to go back to school and to sport. So this time with his pet became hugely important. Sadly then in June 2019, Kean, even though he was doing very well prior to that, just took a turn for the worst. And he spent the last three months of his life on the ward in Crumlin, in St. John's Ward. So at that stage, you know, they had developed this great bond. Cooper was with us about nine months at that stage. And um, Kean just missed him so much, so much. Um, 
so that's when we brought Cooper to Dublin. And how did you go about organising that and doing that? It was chaotic. You know, I, I still remember it very well. We got loads of help. I have to mention a couple of charities. And it was Ronald McDonald's House, Avings Pink Toy, the hospital um, staff. And I do believe he came from Longford in the back of a taxi. You know, so um, <laughs> he, um, yeah, it was just a case, I suppose, getting him to Dublin and getting kennels organised and getting them set, settled in. But we, we got great support. Yeah. And then Keen was able to come out, come off the ward and go outside to Cooper. Was that what happened? Yeah. 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 And and actually, even though he was in hospital, he was quite well and quite active until the end. And in fact, he attended the All-Ireland replay about seven days before he lost his battle. Did so God help him. God, so he, he was very he, active. He put up he put up some fight. And I imagine very that good. reunion between Keen and Cooper when they saw each other for the first time must have been quite special. Well, you mentioned that you had to look at the website. Yeah. Um, so for anyone who wants to see that reunion, if you go onto the website, www.keenscamp.ie, that home um, page picture is the two of them being reunited at the back of St. John's Ward. Um, in fact, in the exact location where we're now going to place the kennels. That's quite special. Yeah, it is. That is. And explain how Keen's Kennels will operate when once you're up and running. Okay, so once we're up and running, then it's, it's a broad enough service. Um, based on our own experience, what we were trying to achieve was obviously to provide the service, but we were also looking at things like that it has no financial cost to families. Um, we also wanted to take a lot of the, you know, organising out of it because, you know, as a family who've been through it, I know your focus is on one thing and it's very hard to, to focus on anything else. So it's, it starts off by, if, if it's best explained by an example. So say there's a family in Cork there and um, they're based up in Dublin with their sick child. They make contact with us through our website and we then, first of all, do a full veterinary check on their pet. Um, we have a vet, uh, network of vets set out throughout the country and so we get to the nearest vet. And that's just to make sure that the pet is vaccinated um, kennel cough all that done and then we transport them in our vehicle um, which will also be on the website there it's tailor made to transport animals safely and we'll bring them then to DSPCA during phase one our kenneling services has been provided by DSPCA Okay, uh, and that's simply because as many people will know the facility at Cromlin will be moving yeah, I, I was I was going to ask about the new children's hospital. <laughs> yeah, so it will be moving. So what we want to do is use this time frame to get set up to provide um, the visiting centre for for the pets, and then you know to extend that service. Then hopefully to the to the new children's hospital. But it wouldn't have made sense for us to invest heavily at the existing site there. It just wouldn't make sense. So during phase one, the pets will be. Sleeping overnight in in um, DSPCA, which is only about fifteen minutes away, and then they'll be transported in our in one of our vans over to the visiting centre, which will be placed at the which back of the hospital, and that's the project we cut the ribbon to on Monday. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And have you are you still on going with the fundraising, Evelyn, or have you enough raised? We are still all going for the fundraising. Okay. absolutely, for a number of reasons. Um, firstly, 
once we, we are already providing services, so and that's an important message you want to get across. Well, if there's any family that would like help, don't, there's no need to wait until this unit is in. We can still get your pet to Dublin. We can still do the veterinary checks. We can still offer all the services apart from the little visiting area, which will be available in March. Um, and then, um, so we're fundraising for the operational cost of that. And we're also fundraising as we look ahead to phase two. Fantastic. And I saw there was a little group of, of girls from Cork who did, they, they, was it a coffee morning they did for you? I saw. So people are yes. fundraising. People can yes. come up with any kind of an idea to fundraise. Any kind of idea. So if you'd like to help us financially, there's two ways. One is to donate through iDonate, which is on the website. Or, yes, if you look at the fundraising section and previous fundraisers, you can see the colour and fun that was had yeah. over the last 18 months. And that's right, we did have a fundraiser from Cork, a lovely little family there. They did it just a coffee morning just before Christmas, in fact. Yeah, they just they heard about Keane's Kennens and decided to do it. I thought it was lovely. It really is yeah. lovely. And people yeah. and I would I would direct people to your website. It's it's gorgeous, uh, Keenskennels.ie and I'm assuming you're all over social media as well. Yes, we're on Facebook, Instagram, all the usual. Yeah. Listen, Keen, we uh, can be very proud uh, of you and what you're doing in his name is just wonderful and there will be so many children in the future who will benefit from this and I can just imagine the joy of somebody coming onto a ward with a very sick child to be told that their little dog is outside. I mean, it's, oh, it's yeah. incredible. That we just can't wait for that moment. It's incredible. I'm thinking about it because... It- It'll mean so much. It will. You're a great woman. Listen, well done, uh, Evelyn. And if we can be of any help to you with fundraising, anything like that, or to publicise anything, uh, make contact uh, with us. And the best of luck to Keane's Cannons. Thank you so much. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you as well. Thanks for that. That is uh, Evelyn Neary. Uh, Kevin's mum. 18, it's not 18, it's 0818. So i getting used to the new number. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Cork City Councillor says the government needs to tackle underlying issues which are contributing to the problem of dereliction and they need to work with the local authorities who best understand these issues. Independent Councillor Kieran McCarthy uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Kieran. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you, How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. And actually, we spoke about derelict and vacant properties with the Father Peter McVerry Trust only yesterday because they're looking uh, for sites uh, as well. How big a problem? are derelict sites for Cork City Council? Um, absolutely huge. Um, and we're talking decades of dereliction in some cases, and then to try to unravel some of derelictions. So from the start of legal processes to CPO, some could be 10 to 20 years to, to unravel. Um, so there you've got, got property rights, you've got lost titles, legal processes, families that have that have died off or are living in living in another country. So it takes a long time to put all the different pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, and I know people get frustrated when they're living near a derelict site or they're walking past a derelict site and it's always the criticism goes on the council, why can't they do something about that? But it isn't just as easy as moving in, say, on a compulsory purchase order, for example. No, you can't. I mean, I suppose it's embedded in the constitution that there are property rights. So you can't just all of a sudden go, look, I want to take that property from you. So it usually has to go through a courts process, and that, that costs the local authority funding as well. 
So I think one of the things I was trying to get at within the article um, that local authorities would get more funding for government, especially for cases that are adva- that are advanced. So they're at the the last stage of, of CPO where, where local authorities actually need funding. Now I know the, there's the, there's this new grant of thirty thousand euro for purchase of a derelict property. Is that going to help? Uh, look, uh, for me, any type of grant is is very welcome. I mean, thirty thousand euros for probably might revamp two or three rooms in an old building. That that's fantastic, but it probably doesn't address this huge rooted problem that we have of dereliction. Um, like uh, like local authorities probably need larger um, vac- vacancy uh, teams uh, on the ground. Um, more more legal people, like it's a bottomless pit really what local authorities actually need. And local authorities really are the ones with the cold face of it. They are the ones that know the derelict properties in their, in their area. Is there any kind of a joined up thinking with the government working with local authorities on it at the moment? Um, I think that first seems to be beginning, but I think it needs to speed up a lot more. I uh, I don't think, for example, Cork City Council, which is the second largest local authority in the country, has spoken to the minister. The minister hasn't approached our local authority. I mean, funding is, don't get me wrong, funding is coming down for urban redevelopment projects. And even this morning, like there was funding announced for uh, old churches in McCroom and, and Fromoy, which are, which are all very... Very welcome, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it also takes money, okay, let, let's say you CPO a property, then the council own the property, and then there's an onus on the council to turn it around. There's also costs with that, in terms of conservation costs, regeneration costs, cutting, cutting out certain elements costs. Um, so it's all funding, 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 which local authorities are, are sometimes struggle to assemble. So, I mean, I see this morning, it's very, very welcome this morning, I think the old Christchurch building in McCroom got over 1 million euros for, from central government. And that's the sort of funding you need, like very significant. Oh, this is for the, the culture quarter that they're talking about. We spoke with Michael Creed about. Yeah, well, I think yeah. they're putting in a new, we say, a new um, startup enterprise hub in yeah, the current yeah. church building. So, and, and sometimes when you take over an old building, sometimes the housing use mightn't be an appropriate use for it. Um, it could be a startup enterprise hub, or it's, it's also trying to find the use. So, I think the more help that government gives towards that, especially kind of small projects, the better. I mean, I think the, these rural development funds are very welcome. The urban development grants are very welcome. But it's the, it's the small elements, for example, along Barrick Street, for example, or, or Blackpool areas where there's significant dereliction. Um, I'm just trying to move things along. So more joined up thinking, more strategies between government and local authorities on the ground. Have you a register of derelict sites? For yeah, co- yeah. Okay. We, we do, we do. Uh, and we do have a team as well within Cork City Council, maybe five five to seven individuals whose sole job every day is to just chase dereliction, chase, trying to chase down some of the property owners. And that actually does involve cases where they have to go onto the street, knock on doors on either side to try to figure out where a developer has gone or where an owner has gone. And sometimes an owner doesn't have funding to redevelop uh, an old... Yeah, and what, what, yeah. what do you do then? You know, it's... Yeah, yeah. So when people kind of say, oh, that, that needs to be moved on, no, it needs to be CPO'd, no, there's a lot of kind of different issues. Um, I, I think, I mean, that, that the Planning Strategic Policy Committee of Cork City Council dereliction has been raised like for, for years and then continues to be raised. I, I'm, I'm a, a strong advocate that 
anyone who's sitting on property for 15 to 20 years and is just not doing anything with it and just letting it rot away and it's not adding to any of the sense of place in our in the city or in our villages or towns it needs to be it does need to be removed from moved from them uh, yeah, and I often mention it, particularly when you're on a main street, be it in, a, you're talking about the city, but even in our towns and villages, it's so unfair on the businesses or if somebody is living in a house on either side of a derelict property. Oh yeah, completely. And I mean, many of County Corkstones, they're not enormous by any means. So something that's derelict in the centre of a, of a main street, which isn't enormous, really sticks out like a sore thumb and, and brings down the rest of the hard work that people are doing doing in any town or village. Um, so that's why I'm actually delighted to see that, that, that Christchurch and McCroom has got funding. And I think a church, an old church building in Fromoy as well has got funding. I know I've, I've written before in my local historian capacity on the old Christchurch and McCroom. And yeah. it's great that that has, has now got funding and Cork County Council have a plan. Um, I don't represent Cork County Council, but just I know, but it's it's, it's more of that kind of funding and more of that kind of projects is that what we yeah, need going forward. Yeah, more strategies, more people coming forward. Look, I have an idea. How do I get? How do I get that idea? Yeah, where do I go from here? Okay. Where do I go from here? All that joined up thinking and strategy. All right, okay, keep keep. Keep at it. You're doing well. And in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is, uh, good afternoon to you. It's Independent Councillor for Cork City, uh, Kieran McCarthy. Some of your final calls and texts before I leave you for today. Thank you to somebody. Oh, Angela. Thank you, Angela. St. Columbus Day is the 9th of June. Thank you. I don't know my saints that well. I didn't know what day it was when we were talking about St. Bridget's Day and St. Pat. Patrick's Day also coming into us bank holidays somebody says the extra bank holidays they're talking about for frontline workers that's not going to work well because the poor frontline workers are going to have to work themselves how is that a day off for them Nora agrees with a listener earlier saying we've enough bank holidays are they absolutely mad we haven't got this variant under control it's a joke says uh, Nora Uh, Hi Patricia the Delta variant is still very active in the community my daughter her husband and my grandson very sick at the moment they've got vomiting and diarrhoea as well as the symptoms of uh, COVID they are waiting on their COVID PCR test tomorrow they have been sick since uh, Sunday uh, the, my other grandson then in the house has no symptoms at all so COVID very much out there and people are getting very unwell and then on I got my boost on the 10th of December no COVID cert yet uh, you need to get on to the helpline if you are wait if you can do it online by far by the easiest way is to do it online it's at 1-800-807-008 but people are having huge problems trying to get through on that number and I think that's due to the number of, of people who are trying and then we're talking about posting and people waiting on items in the post. Mary and Donnerell says and, oh yeah and then somebody suggested this service called sendmybag.ie and Mary says Patricia we have a daughter in New Zealand and a son in Australia. I have used that service Send My Bag to send presents when my first grandson was born in Oz and our granddaughter bought in New Zealand found it great. Send parcels by post this Christmas. <laughs> they haven't arrived yet. I'll be using Send My Bag in a uh, future and somebody else is waiting on a parcel to come in from England they've already paid the customs since the 14th of December nothing yet that's where I leave you we're back with you tomorrow at 10 Court Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie Cool fact 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.